Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, last night, a presidential debate in Las Vegas for the Democratic Party. Not a presidential debate, but within the Democratic Party. Former mayor of New York, Mike Bloomberg, made his case as why he is the best candidate to take on U.S. President Donald Trump in the next election. But then Senator Elizabeth Warren challenged Bloomberg with more of his own history. I'm a New Yorker. I know how to take on an arrogant con man like Donald Trump that comes from New York. I'm a mayor, or was a mayor. I know how to run a complicated city, the biggest, most diverse city in this country. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. (laughs) Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies. All right, let's bring in Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Uh, Reggie, your thoughts on uh, what came down? It certainly uh, looks as if uh, uh, Bloomberg was certainly um, uh, the whipping boy last night. What does it say about the Democratic Party that Michael Bloomberg is even in this race and coming in at the later stages? Well, I mean, you know, it says a lot about the party and the fact that the that the DNC rather changed the rules to allow Bloomberg to get on the stage. But you'd think having watched everything or at least having had Bloomberg watch everything kind of play out over the last year when these candidates have been on stage, these candidates have been going after each other, their records and policies are all kind of out there for all to see. You'd think that Bloomberg would have been a little more uh potentially prepared for what was going to come at him. He was the new guy on stage. Nobody, uh, you know, nobody let that go. And he looked like a deer caught in the headlights every time something was Mm. lobbed at him. So again, that's your thought on his performance. He was not ready. He was, he was shaken up by this. He absolutely was. I mean, look, everybody has a skeleton in their closet when they're running for political office, and he had a number of things that were being held against him uh, that you know were out there in the public, and he didn't have an answer for, particularly when Elizabeth Warren went after his record uh, of potential harassment suits and cases inside Bloomberg, and he wasn't prepared to give a kind of cohesive response to that. And I, you know, that's what people latched onto, and it was a really poor first performance for somebody who's vying to be the Democratic contender. What does that say? I mean, it, it says. As if he's, you know, uh, I know I'm throwing a lot of money to this, but it's kind of a flash in the pan. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Again, as you said, he should have been prepared for those questions. He should have been prepared, and, you know, he has the money to make it look like he is prepared. But if you pull the curtain back, what you see in the ads that are peppering U.S. cable TV on a regular basis, they did not appear to be the same person who was on stage last night because money can buy any kind of ad, and advertising can make you look a certain way. But when you're put on the spot, it becomes much more difficult to try and convey a message when you don't have the ability to edit and cut out the things that people are going to come after. His responses to someone like Elizabeth Warren or his responses to his policies when he was a mayor in New York City uh, being questioned by Bernie Sanders uh, were were problematic for him because he didn't have uh, a clear and concise response to give them. And it kind of led to an all-out battle within the first 15 minutes of this debate starting up. 
So uh, this last big chance for a brouhaha debate like this to get your presence known, how do things shake down in the polls? How, how do we explain where everybody is? Well, I mean, it was interesting to watch how this all went down last night because everybody on stage paid a very close and particular bit of attention to Michael Bloomberg, despite the fact that he, A, is number three in the national polls right now, and B, is not on the ballot on Saturday's caucus in Nevada and is not on the ballot next Saturday uh, for the primary in South Carolina. So they were attempting to just kind of go after the new guy on the stage and call him out for what they see as him buying his way into the election. But what they also did last night was provide for a clear path for Bernie Sanders to make his kind of double digit lead over everybody continue to move forward. He's already set to lock up the caucus in uh, in Nevada this weekend. He's going to attempt to try and steal some of the vote from Joe Biden as he goes into South Carolina next week. But the polls right now are still in favor of Bernie Sanders and everyone last night, instead of putting their kind of efforts into derailing him bypassed the chance and simply went after Bloomberg. Uh, What about Biden in all of this? I mean, again, many thought this was his to lose, and that certainly looks like what's happening. How do you explain him and his performance? Well, I mean, look, his performance wasn't as bad as it has been over the last couple of months. Not necessarily igniting, though, either. No, it wasn't. But but in not having a bad performance, it allows for his campaign to say that he did have a good performance and that Mm. he was, you know, given an opportunity to give a couple of one-liners here and there. He was able to try and throw some fact checks at Michael Bloomberg and in offering some more concise and clear and shorter responses, he was able to come across as being the kind of adult on the stage and not throwing these jabs and barbs back and forth like everyone else was. Uh, What about Sanders and his health records? How big of an issue is this? Is this like Donald Trump's tax returns now? No, I think if you're going to make the tax return uh, comparison, you can take a look at Michael Bloomberg, who's been less than forthcoming with a lot of his information, uh, you know, saying that he's simply just too rich and can't use TurboTax. Uh, You know, that's where that comparison can go. I think that there are going to be some of the uh, anti-Bernie Sanders crowd who will say the man is simply too old to run. The man has uh, suffered some uh, uh, medical setbacks while he's been on this campaign trail. But Bernie says, uh, and he said last night, that he's put forth most of his uh, medical records, that he has had uh, doctors in Vermont kind of give him a clean bill of health, and they've put out the information out there. I think this was just one of those opportunities, I believe it was uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg who brought this up, uh, to to kind of try and steer the conversation to make it appear uh, like Bernie Sanders is potentially hiding something, or at least not becoming uh, not co- not coming uh, uh, as clean as he could be. Uh, but it didn't gain much traction. It got a couple of minutes on stage last night uh, and it simply fell flat. I don't think that there's going to be very many people out there that say Bernie Sanders is hiding his medical records uh, when his heart attack is in full view of everyone. Uh, All right, can't let you go without asking you about Roger Stone. Sentenced today, I believe it was 40 months. Uh, Your thoughts on how this all went down, especially considering what was happening in the Justice Department? I mean, this has been kind of a political whirlwind and nightmare in D.C. for months now, but this 40-month sentence that Judge Jackson handed down to Roger Stone today significantly less than what was being pushed uh, by the recommended guidelines of seven to nine years. That was what kind of drew the criticism from President Donald Trump saying that this was an unfair trial. And then when the Justice Department stepped in and said that the guidelines should not be paid attention to, it led to a bit of uproar within Maine Justice itself with a number of people leaving. I think uh, that the judge today, you know, excoriated Stone for his involvement and uh, participation in, you know, whatever happened in the 2016 election involving Russia. Uh, And the sentence right now, it doesn't 
exactly begin immediately. There will possibly likely be some kind of appeal and potential for a retrial. Uh, but Roger Stone is a longtime ally of the president, and the president has long since complained. Anybody caught up in the Mueller investigation uh, was kind of unfairly dealt with. And, you know, there are rumors right now that we could potentially be looking at another presidential pardon when it comes to Roger Stone. So, I mean, it was wrapped yeah. up today with a bow, but it may not be over. I, a pardon was my next point. Uh, what about the issues Julian, uh, Julian Assange name coming up again and chatter in regard to Russia and interference with the last election. Well, I mean, this paints a bad picture for the president if this is true. You know, we're, we're kind of getting second and third hand information here that a former congressperson may have kind of approached Assange with a potential for a pardon. But we also have the fact that Assange was tied up in this Roger Stone case by uh, Stone having been in conversation with WikiLeaks to discuss information that was collected on Hillary Clinton and linked to the Russian hacking. Uh, you know, Julian Assange has made very few friends across the U.S., but if the president, you know, if, if the reporting is accurate, uh, and the president does intend to have a soft spot to potentially give Julian Assange uh, a pardon if he says Russia wasn't involved with the 2016 hacking. I think that's going to open up a bigger can of worms for the president. Uh, and I think that this is an inappropriate time for him to try and be getting involved with that. However, it's not unusual for the president to start a larger fighter than a fire than the one he's currently fighting just to distract from that. Uh, of course. I mean, this is the president's motive of operation. You know, anytime that something's going on, he'll try to distract you by going somewhere else or he'll make a situation significantly bigger so that when it's tamped down, he can draw it back in and say, look, I was able to fix this. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, we're still many weeks and months away from any kind of potential outcome or issue with what will happen with uh, with anything to do with WikiLeaks and Assange. We need to finish getting through what's going to happen with Roger Stone right now. We also need to see if there's going to be any continued fallout because the president gets himself involved in these court cases and then the attorney general has to to say you need to stop getting yourself involved in these court cases mm. because it makes everyone's job more difficult. Reggie Giacchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Reggie, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's go to Aaron Call, director of debate at the University of Michigan and editor, co-author of Debating the Donald and is with us now. Aaron, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's great to be back. Your thoughts on the debate last night and everyone taking shots at Bloomberg. Yeah, he was uh, the debate pinata, no doubt. Yeah. And it looked like his entrance into the race really increased interest in the debate in general. The, uh, the ratings just came out, and almost 20 million people uh, tuned into the debate, which was um, an all-time high. Uh, and so, you know, almost like Trump, who put a lot of, uh, ra- you know, added a lot of interest in ratings, it's, uh, his entrance may uh, prove a boon for some of the other candidates, especially Elizabeth Warren. Uh, why not better prepared? He must have known as soon as he stepped on the stage he'd be hammered for past uh, situations, uh, whether it's his mayor or what. Uh, are you surprised he wasn't better prepared to handle some of the shots that came at him? Yes, I was shocked. Um, I think part of it was he was hoping not to qualify for the debate, and you know he just qualified the day before, and so in some ways that was bad luck. Um, I don't think his campaign did a great job of lowering expectations properly. They said that he had been planning for weeks. And if that's the case, it's kind of hard to believe uh, because all of the attacks were very predictable. Um, stop and frisk, redlining, the non-disclosure agreements, they had been out in the news uh, for days and weeks. And it sounded like he hadn't even, didn't even think of uh, you know, the issues beforehand and certainly didn't have good answers. Uh, a lot of it was rust. He had not debated since 2009. 
and it is going to take him some time. But the problem is we're on a really condensed schedule. There's Super Tuesdays coming up in March, and there's only two more debates before then. So he's going to really have to be a quick learner um, if he hopes to, you know, to stay in the race and keep his positive momentum. What does it say about the Democratic Party that Bloomberg comes in at this stage, starts throwing money down, and, and starts getting some results and starts showing well in the polls? Uh, what does that say? Yeah, it doesn't speak well of the party, um, but it also shows the impact that money can have um, on advertising. I mean, President Trump mm. you know, basically self-financed his campaign in the 2015 cycle, and that really uh, helped him. And also he had been a, a, you know, a television reality star, and so a lot of people knew who he was. But it just shows that if you are a billionaire that just released today that he spent $409 million already, that that'll buy you a lot of positive publicity. Um, and also it shows, you know, the relative weakness of the Democratic field that if someone can come in and do that, that there's no other you know, star candidates like Barack Obama, somebody, Bill Clinton, somebody like that. It's just a weak year in general. But the question is going to be, hmm. can all of his money in advertising overcome a really poor debate performance? You know, who, who's going to see more and which matters most to voters? And until we get new polls, we won't know the answer to that question. Will people look at Donald Trump and think that Michael Bloomberg's the only type of candidate that can beat him fighting fire with fire? It, it used to be um, everybody thought Biden was the only Democratic candidate that could, that, could, uh, that could beat Trump. Certainly that's not proving the case with the polls we're seeing now. But is, is, at what point does Michael Bloomberg become a very valid candidate? Well, he already is. I mean, if you look at um, some of the latest national polls, you know, he was in or basically third place, almost a tie for second. And then if you look at a lot of the Super Tuesday polls, um, he's the same place. And so he got a late start. He didn't con- compete in the first four states, but he is a formidable candidate. Um, and, you know, if you have that amount of money and you're willing to spend it, then you know, he's racked up some impressive endorsements. Um, he was the former mayor of New York City, you know, the nation's largest city. Um, but, you know, there's a school of thought that some Democrats think, well, we need our own Trump to take on Trump. And so you get... I guess that was my too. point. I guess that's what was my <laughs> point was. Is this their version of Donald Trump? Do you have to fight fire with fire here? He is. They share a lot of similarities. They both were used to be different parties. Uh, they you're both from New York, both have billionaires, even though Trump has more money. Um, but I don't know, you know, that if people are some people are tired of, of Trump and the presidency. And so they want, you know, someone kind of boring and yeah. and uh, someone like Biden. But others think that because Trump's going to have so much money, a billion or two billion dollars in this campaign, that only uh, Bloomberg has the resources to compete. And money is really important in politics. These days. So how do you explain Bloomberg's rise in the polls? Is it all monetary? Uh, a, lot, a big part of it started with Joe Biden's uh, slip. So, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're kind of on the left of the party. And then there's a bunch of moderates like Biden and Klobuchar and, um, and Pete Buttigieg. They all have weaknesses. Joe Biden has been weakened by the Ukraine scandal, you know, poor debate performances and questions about his age, um, stamina. But the uh, but he has a really strong support amongst African-Americans where Pete Buttigieg and maybe Klobuchar did a little bit better in Iowa, New Hampshire, but don't have any African-American support. So there's just no moderate uh, to go up against Bernie Sanders that has the support from everybody. And so there was a natural vacuum uh, for Michael Bloomberg to fill. And he came in as 
um, a moderate, someone who was a Republican, is now a Democrat, who's very wealthy, has given a lot of money to, um, you know, to charitable contributions. And so he basically became the new flavor of the week in terms of which moderate can actually defeat uh, Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary and then go up against Trump, which would give the Democrats the best chance um, in the fall election. When will we know more as far as a timeline, uh, when this starts to shake down as we as we weave our way through all this process? When will we know who the front runners are starting to be? When will that start to take shape? I'd say that's it's called Super Tuesday in early March. Um, you know, there's these four states uh, are small and in Overall, they maybe provide 2% of the overall race delegates. But once we get to Super Tuesday, where states like California, Texas, you know... Uh, will, this be a, was this, will this be a completely different conversation by the time we get there? Well, I mean, you know, yeah, people's talking about uh, Buttigieg and, and, and talking about Sanders a lot now and, and the fall of, of Warren and Biden. Will this all change once we get to Super Tuesday? I believe so. And normally you would say yes, because at that point, about 50 percent of the overall delegates will be given. And I think it'd be likely that people like Klobuchar, um, you know, would drop out, Tom Steyer and some others. But this year, um, you know, there's not as big of an incentive to drop out because there's a great chance there could be a contested convention. And so at that point, anyone that has delegates you know, has a chance on a you know, third, fourth, fifth ballot to actually win. You saw all the hand raisings last night and everyone said, even if you have the most delegates going in, you know, let the convention determine who wins. So and you know, Elizabeth Warren wrote, already raised millions of dollars from last night. So in a normal year, you'd only have maybe two candidates left after March and Super Tuesday. This year, there's not that same incentive to get out. So we could have a continuation of you know four or five candidates going all the way through April or May, which is very unusual. I can't let you go, Aaron, without asking you your thoughts on uh, the Roger Stone sentence. Forty months just came down. Your thoughts on how this all transpired? Yeah, so that's... Um, you know, the, the news breaks very quickly here in the United States these days. Um, you know, 40 months is about, you know, half or a little bit less of the guidelines. So it wasn't the maximum that the judge could have given. But I think everyone here in the United States is kind of thinking that a pardon is inevitable by President Trump, given, you know, his most recent wave. The only question is timing. You know, does he do it now out of impulse or does he wait until after the election? Because there's political risk if he does you know, pardon stone. And he's doing pretty well now with his job approval rating, the economy. And you have to see if he has the discipline to uh, wait a little bit till it's more politically advantageous. But I imagine inevitably uh, he's likely to get uh, pardoned along with Michael Flynn and some others that are involved in the Russian investigation. Aaron Collis been with us, director of debate at the University of Michigan and editor, co-author of Debating the Donald. Aaron, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Anytime. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.